This is the Dr. Tim Murphy Show, where you will learn how to tear down the mental barriers to success and health and build up a stronger you. In these podcasts, Dr. Tim Murphy offers you the tools for recovery and for surviving and thriving after trauma. There is a pathway to healing, and he does this through faith and psychology. Dr. Tim Murphy, bringing healing to your heart, your mind, and your spirit. Hi, it's Dr. Tim Murphy, and I really appreciate you listening to my podcast, but they do cost money to produce, so I'm asking for your help in a way that's going to help you too through this really cool product. Now, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go home to use it, it's not very absorbent and it doesn't dry you? That's why my pillow has developed the My Pillow Towels. So they have an amazing offer of only $29.98 on a six-piece set of My Pillow Towels. So just go to mypillow.com and if you click on the radio podcast specials and enter promo code Dr. Tim, that's D R T I M. That's mypillow.com, promo code Dr. Tim. I think you're going to love it. I'm Dr. Tim Murphy. Welcome. We are up to our eyeballs in problems. We can be overwhelmed, or we can see this as a time that makes us stronger. You know, we didn't plan for this and all the things that are happening. We did not even expect a lot of them. But in the end, something good will come out of all of this. Your hope will rise from the ashes. Now, we've all been through a lot lately, and a recall of recent history is important to realize just how much we've been through. Just a couple of decades ago, in the 1990s, we had times of low unemployment and a surging stock market. Like It was like the Roaring Twenties. It was a time of American optimism. But like the 1920s, It was followed by decades of war, national strife, and economic disasters. The 9-11 attack was the big wake-up call for all of us, and it inspired a surge in American patriotism as we focused our fight against terrorism. People came together. We felt united. But we were at war. In 2008, the housing market crisis hit and led to a 50% fall in the stock market. Retirement savings were erased, and over 8 million jobs were lost. It was a big recession. We realized the vulnerability of the family nest egg. We were angered to find that the wealth of the nation could be toppled by the selfishness of a conspiring few. And despite all our losses, we still had to bail out the ones who caused it all. Although the economy recovered, the cracks in a divided nation were forming. Politics became more vocal battlegrounds. Elections became increasingly more about personality and personal attacks, not just policy. Cooperation and compromise became dirty words among elected officials, fueled by a population that was retreating into their own media sources, providing selective information that fed biases, not solutions. Viewers and listeners became the clickbait used to lure advertising dollars. Now, there was a warning of this in an old movie. It was a 1976 film called Network, where this news anchor by the name of Howard Beale was a cheerleader for an angry nation when he shouted, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. His anguished cry was used to boost ratings, not to inspire better action. That film Network was prescient 
of an angry, divided nation for which the media found a way to profit. Now, the internet, podcast, radio, television, and cable news continue to feed on this theme. Rage can be monetized into big profits. Then comes COVID and the shutting down of the planet. Jobs close, schools close, churches close, cities close, public trust in government institutions gave way to anger and suspicion as each side retreated to their corner, claiming their own conspiracy theories. We still do not know all that was behind the COVID pandemic, but we do know the battle lines are wide, deep, angry, and continuing. Rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, and drug overdoses soared. A generation of children are still trying to recover their lost learning. Businesses are still trying to get people to come back to work. But the workplace has fundamentally changed. No longer is it embarrassing to be out of work. Job openings remain vacant throughout the country and the world. The Afghanistan war was officially called Operation Enduring Freedom. In the end, it was enduring, but not free. The war grinded on for 20 years, and together with the Iraq War, it would eventually claim the lives of over 7,000 U.S. troops. Operation Enduring Freedom ended in a sudden retreat from Afghanistan and left behind $7.2 billion worth of military equipment directly in the hands of Taliban, and eventually to other terrorist groups. The abandonment of a cause for which so many fought and died opened big psychological wounds among the veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. We already had record high levels of PTSD and suicide rates among our veterans, and it made it worse. And remember, after the death of George Floyd, riots erupted in America beginning the defund the police movement. Now cities do not have enough police, crime rates are growing, police are told don't arrest drug dealers, and every major city has its zones of a growing homeless population, open drug use, and open prostitution. And police are openly attacked. And just as Americans are war-weary, Russia invades Ukraine, and nearly 200,000 have died so far. The war threatens to spread throughout Europe. Then comes Hamas' brutal and barbaric attack into Israel, killing, maiming, torturing, immolation of innocent people with a brutality associated with ancient times. But beneath the extremes of the violence is the question, weren't we supposed to be better than this? Didn't we learn from the causes of the Second World War? Aren't we beyond this? Obviously not. The causes of the brutality aren't something on the other side of the planet. It took the gruesome action in Israel to peel off the sweet veneer hiding the hypocrisy even here with hate at home. When students march on campuses supporting terrorists, when university presidents actively encourage hate speech by their silence, and by the way, these are the same leaders who condemned racial violence a few months before, when mayors offer feeble responses to demonstrators who call for genocide and gassing of Jews, when the Star of David is stenciled onto the homes and shops of Jews, and when the media will not call Hamas terrorists, our hidden fears awaken. This is not Nazi Germany of the 1930s. This is now. This is here. But here's something. In 1939, there was a massive rally in Madison Square Garden as part of the growing pro-Nazi movement in the United States. The prejudice was alive in the USA then, too. But, 
But there were also counter-demonstrations from Americans who refused to support the hate and bigotry. They believed in a better country, hoped for a better world, and condemned prejudice across the board, not just with selected groups. That same spirit that reawakens a people who love freedom and respects others can grow here, if we let it. Right now, as we are a battle-weary people who just don't want to talk about things, we turn off the news and avoid certain subjects with relatives. We just don't want to feel the misery anymore. We tune out, turn off, and turn away. But denial of evil is not a solution. You don't fight evil of the world by running away. What we need is to be able to endure the troubles, persist against evil, and motivate by hope. This means we must fight the first hurdle against evil. We must resist the urge to quit. Where does that urge to quit come from? Well, let's break down this into parts to understand what we have to do. When we want to quit, we may lack the strength or direction or discipline or the courage to win. We believe we are powerless to prevent our own destruction. Our sense of doom is even more overwhelming when we add our own personal battles to that list of worldly woes. Perhaps you've been struggling with too many bills, difficulties with co-workers, fights with your spouse and children, overcome with self-doubt, grieving, loss, fighting an illness, or recovering from trauma. You've got your own list, and it is tough. It's just too darn tough to even want to fight anymore. The pain may seem unbearable. You may think the situation is hopeless, or you conclude the fight is not worth the outcome. Reality check. All of this surrendering to a mental enemy you control is within you. Let's not confuse what is difficult with what is impossible. Sometimes we cannot get our way because of forces outside our control. We all get that. Someone else may win the prize or get the promotion. Sometimes the relationship cannot be saved. Sometimes we lose our job despite our talent. Even though there are times when it seems very unfair, we can't always get our way, but can't is not the same as quit. Can't is the physical limits of our ability. Can't happens when we are not in control of all the variables. However, won't is our choice to quit, allowing our doubts to convince us there is no chance. That doubt makes us weak from the inside, and that is when we quit. But let's get back to reality here. Through our own anxiety and worry, we make the enemy stronger. The psychological enemy only lives in our heads and our hearts. It is never a fair fight against those psychological demons because we are constantly rearming the enemies with defeatist attitudes, grabbing ourselves by the throat, choking us with our own ruminations of traumatic memories. In most cases, we truly do have the physical, emotional, and mental strength to see this problem through. However, we let a quitting attitude weaken our spirit. No wonder we stop trying. Much of the world now finds itself shackled with depression. Rates are as high as 50% among young adults and teens. Depression creates deep sinkholes of hopelessness, falsely believing we are alone, we do not belong, our shame is unforgivable, that there is no one who can help us. We just want to die. I've known divorced parents who spent personal fortunes fighting for custody or visitation with their child. Overrun with exhaustion and financial collapse, they lose sight of what is best for the child in the long run, succumbing to the distorted belief that they cannot fight anymore. They start to believe their child is better off without them, 
So they abandon that relationship, or worse yet, they think about taking their own life. It's a tragedy on multiple levels. It certainly is a lifelong tragedy for the child, but also a tragedy that evil thoughts were given the credibility to break the spirit of the parent. Let's talk about fighting our evils. We need to identify the source of this evil and then fight it head on. I use the word evil here on purpose. We cannot be lukewarm on this. This is an enemy we must defeat. Evil is out to destroy our spirit and capture our soul. Our battle is against the evils of selfishness and anger and resentment, the temptation to hurt, to cheat, to lie, or stand in self-righteous judgment against others for the very crimes in others we ourselves commit in our own heart. It is the evils of pride, conceit, anger, doubt, arrogance, and ignorance. Evil wins when we give up. Evil wins when we lash out at others. Evil wins when we lose the confidence to resist or we capitulate to the escapist pleasures luring us into doing things that may feel good for a moment but will ultimately hurt us or hurt others. Many an addict surround themselves with people who are weak, not really friends, just pawns in their pursuit to get more drugs. We fool ourselves into thinking we can use evil as a tool for our purposes. Fact is, evil is using us. One of evil's most alluring tools is anger. When we feel overwhelmed by all those stressors, we are easily tempted to lash out. Anger is a big deceiver, though. First, anger makes us stupid. When we believe if we are angry, we must be right. And second, anger is an intoxicating emotion luring us into thinking we need it to fight everyone who disagrees with us. After all, in warfare, you can't fight if you're sad or crying. We think anger makes us stronger in a fight, so we embrace it as if it's a survival tactic. That may seem to work when the bullets are flying, but can also cause the soldier to make deadly blunders. Watch what happens to athletes when they become angry. They make mistakes, they get penalized or thrown out of the game. Lose our temper, we lose control. Anger is all brawn, no brain. Third, we are tricked into thinking venting our anger is good. Anger is a seductive evil that way. By venting, we are only reinforcing a pattern linking anger with some sort of self-fulfilling satisfaction. In reality, our anger blinds our ability to see reason and turns off our compassion and we lose sight of our positive purpose. It tempts us to run towards evil seeking vengeance when the best way to defeat evil may be to forgive. Anger increases our impulsive risk to quit through even suicide. Fourth, when we make angry mistakes in a fight, we can fall right back into shame and relapse into our self-soothing symptom cycle. I know we all lose our temper at times, but we must quickly recover or we are vulnerable to create more risks. It is worth repeating, be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to evil. I like that. That's from Ephesians 4. So do not get yourself sidetracked by the anger returning you to old symptoms. Now, And here are two essential survival skills you'll need to fight through evils. They are endurance and persistence. First, endurance. We have to fight evil with endurance. Think of endurance as your defense, your tenacity. No retreat. In this moment in time, Realize the fight takes time and effort. Resist the desire to stop fighting when your own suffering is making you weary. I know what it feels like when we think, this pain has gone on too long. There's no end in sight. It's an awful feeling. We think quitting life is the only remedy to stop the pain. Pain is our trial 
and we are tempted to give up. Don't. You really can endure the exhaustion and the wounds. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words of encouragement. I really like this. He said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's from Galatians 6. Now, Paul reminds us we can endure the struggles far beyond what we think we can. When he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Our ability to endure depends a lot on how we define why we are in the fight. Meaningless suffering is hard to tolerate, but when we see it as part of the price of victory, we endure far more than we ever thought capable. A Marine recruit can withstand great hardship, the training, the workouts, the hikes, the obstacle courses, the inspections, the exhaustion in a four-month boot camp, but it's all meant to build up endurance. Recruits need all the endurance they can muster for the final test before they call themselves Marine. There's this final test. It's called a crucible. It's a 54-hour intensive test of body, spirit, and emotion. It includes 48 miles of marching, 36 stations testing learned skills that they learned in boot camp, and 29 team-building exercises. All of this with only six hours of sleep and two meals. Marines prepare for battle by increasing their tolerance for pain. If they wither when their body aches after little sleep through the mental strains, through the shouts of their drill instructor, they will never be able to endure the battle against an enemy that, quite frankly, is trying to kill them. When there was doubt at the beginning of boot camp, there was low confidence. But each time you reach the wall of your own limits, instead of retreating, seize the opportunity to push that wall just a little bit farther and then push it a little bit more. Step by step, you realize you have more endurance than you first thought. The same goes for any coach who drives the team harder or, or students blessed with a teacher pushing them to learn more and the child who hears the parent's encouragement to get back up after falling down. With each day, the soldier, the athlete, the student, the child all build strength and build confidence. For those who may have suffered prolonged complex trauma, endurance is critically important. The single mom who escaped a violent home, works at night while attending classes during the day, and is haunted by worries her ex may start the stalking and harassment all over again, must have phenomenal endurance, perhaps even surpassing that of the Marine. For her, it's a marathon with minefields. But she sees hope and opportunity, so she endures. Each day, she gets stronger. When we reframe our plights as something that makes us stronger, we can see why Paul wrote this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's from Romans chapter 5. Now, wait, did he say rejoice? Yeah, think of how surgery and recovery can be painful, but it saves our life. And for that, we do rejoice. Suffering here is a rocky road towards a positive end, just like in surgery or psychological counseling may require you to cut into the walls of your memories to face your fears directly. No more avoiding. You are on the road to healing, 
And the more you work at it, the more you realize, number one, it is safe to recall memories of the past in the present moment. And two, recalling tragic events gives you an opportunity to practice associating them with calmer emotions. And three, your work is an opportunity to grow from your trials. Listen to what Paul said we should do to prepare for these trials against evil. He said this in Ephesians 6, and here it goes. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, endurance is not enough. Now, we must also persist as we fight forward. A good defense needs a good offense to fight forward, and that is your persistence. Paul inspires us in Philippians 3 when he wrote from a prison, quote, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. When life is difficult, when it seems like the battle is turning against you, when you feel abandoned and alone, press on anyway and beat back the internal and external demons seducing you to give up. I remember once when I was sitting in a hospital waiting room, across from me sat a mother and a child in his motorized wheelchair. He was severely disabled, unable to walk or to care for himself. She told me he was seven years old and back in the hospital for his 33rd surgery, this time to help control his seizures. I asked if she needed anything. Prayers, she said. We can always use more prayers. I clearly remember she used the word we. What humility to admit she needed help as well. I prayed for her ability to persist through all that was in front of her. That is how Paul pushed himself, always focused, always persevering towards the long-term goal while avoiding distractions of his past. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's from Philippians 3. We must not be distracted from pressing on towards our goals. Triumph goes to the one who persists, failing and falling as part of life, but staying down is our choice. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. That's from Proverbs. So we have to persist. We have to press on. One other thing here is that the secret ingredient for persistence is to overcome your self-pity. Now, self-pity is really the enemy of persistence. Feeling sorry for ourselves distracts us with thoughts like, why me? Why do I have to go through this? This is too much. What if I can't handle this? Life is not fair. Our catastrophic thinking makes us the distracted driver in life. We drive off the road and we crash. Those with a visible illness know this well. A mother fighting a chronic disease told me of her daily load of medications to control symptoms, to manage the pain for the side effects of the medication and for the side effects of the side effects of the medication. She has an embarrassing rash that comes and goes. She has lost patches of her hair and she endures flare-ups of gut pain. Finances are strained. She has used up all her sick days at work and she must maintain a special diet. Her schedule gets disrupted by symptom flare-ups. When she takes her kids to a school event, she feels the staring eyes of parents as she sits apart from everyone else to avoid infection risks. 
it is so painful to have to fight not just the trauma of a disease, but the additional burden of fighting the negative reactions of others towards her illness. One of her best defenses is to never give in to any temptation of self-pity, no matter what others may say. She takes every disparaging glance or word and turns them into inspiration to stay the course with humility. The prejudice against invisible disease is also very real. Once when I was speaking with a company about hiring veterans with PTSD, one of the staff asked, will they be violent? Those fears are absolutely absurd and not founded in any fact. It may be in the plot of a movie, but not in life. I've also seen prejudice block the hiring of former prisoners who have served their time or against hiring recovered addicts. The bigotry multiplies the difficulty as we fight two simultaneous battles against our own problems and prejudice judgment of others. Press on anyways. It's like eating the elephant one bite at a time. Your life is too important to surrender to ignorance. Now make no mistake, in these tough times, each of our personal battles are tougher. Please don't run for the exit. Don't let evil win. And if you're waiting for the easy road before you start to fight back, you will surely lose. But you can do this. Don't look for easy. Look for endurance and persistence. Recall these words by Philip Brooks. He was an American clergyman and author, and he said, Do not pray for easy times. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. We will all get through this. Your suffering produces endurance, and endurance builds your character, and character produces your hope. Your hope will rise, and you will be the one that helps it rise again. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please send them to me through my website, drtimmurphy.com. You can find more information about healing from trauma in my book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. And also, please subscribe to my podcast. I'm Dr. Tim Murphy, and I look forward to speaking with you next time.